You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. And man, I just I want to say one huge joy of mine is to see two pregos on stage leading us in worship. Um, man, thank you guys so much, Ben, Anna Maria, Natalie, Miguel. Um, I just want to say Bill is a good name for a boy and a girl, so, you know, I need to carry on the family name somehow, so, uh, Bill Alina, I don't know. So, um, we, we are an obedient church, uh, apparently, we are being fruitful and multiplying, um, there's a lot of babies here, um, and, and families are one of our number one priorities, um, and we love, love, love children and families and babies. Um, we are working really hard and diligently to get a mother's nursing and cry room together and up. It was my office and we decided that it's more important that we have a safe space that uh, parents can go to, moms specifically can go to and nurse their children. Um, there'll be a live feed in there so they could still be a part of what we're doing here. Um, and we've also really worked hard at getting our preschool ministry uh, to a place where families are comfortable to bring their kids um, because this is a family church and there are babies and babies and babies and we just absolutely love it. Um, so bear with us as we kind of go through trying to get these rooms ready. There's a lot of construction going on kind of in the front as you walk in. That's kind of what's going on there um, as well as there's a ton of construction stuff going on in the building that the Lord has just blessed us with. Um, and so we are excited. We are excited about what the Lord is doing. So we're in this series, Stand Firm, and we're talking about the armor of God. And, and here's what we see. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, we see that there is an enemy that's known, that's true, that there is an enemy. I mean, even look in the secular world and you'll see that every good movie has a superhero and a villain. There's good and there's evil. There is an enemy and that enemy is out to get that which is good. And so the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy anyone who aligns with God and Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He is out to get you. So if you're coming here today and you're a believer, maybe you've never heard this before, but there is a real enemy and he's out to get you. But the good news for us, and this is what we're seeing in this passage of scripture, is that God himself places his armor on us to protect us, to lead us, to guide us, even in our failures, even in our mess ups, in our brokenness, God gives us his armor to protect us. And so we've been walking through this, and I love what Spurgeon says he says, you are to put on the heavenly armor in order that you may stand. And you will need it to maintain the position in which your captain has placed you. Man, that last part really got me as I was reading this. Because God has a specific purpose for your life. He has placed you exactly where you are in your neighborhood at your workplace, um, maybe you're a part of a club, a gym, maybe you frequent a coffee shop, maybe you uh, like to play pickleball, wherever that may be, God has placed you there 
to be light in the midst of darkness, to bring hope to a hopeless world. And so we put on our heavenly armor in order that we may stand in those places that God has placed us. And today we are looking at the sword of the spirit. Let's look at verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. And I love when the word of God commentaries the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let me pray for us. We're gonna dive in. Jesus, this is your word. And we are talking about your word today. And I know we are coming in this place uh, with all different experiences, with all different understandings, with all different beliefs maybe. But I pray as we look at your word that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would illuminate in our hearts and in our minds who you are, what you have done for us, and how beautiful your word is. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, the sword. Now, I think often we think of this like two-handed, huge, massive battle sword. But actually, back then, when they were going into battle, they kind of had more of a hand-to-hand combat sword. And so, I think we have a picture up on the screen of me. Um, I just took a picture so you guys could see what a... What a um, Why is Miguel laughing so loudly? That doesn't look anything like me. Um, so, so it's more of this sword that was strapped either to their ankle or to their hip that was very quick to pull out and use in the time of battle. I know this is scaring you. I'm going to put it away. All right? But, but it was something that was a little bit smaller than maybe one of those really long like Excalibur swords that we may be thinking. Um, but this is more along the lines of what they would have been thinking in their minds uh, that they would have had. And, and why is this important? Because I think that it's very usable. It's something that they would have used often. It's something they would have used for defense. It's something they would have used for offense. The sword, out of all of these armors of God, is really the only one that we see that's both offensive and defensive. These are what the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, reveals to us. So we see that he ends with the sword of the Spirit. Now look how the sword of the Spirit reveals these other armors, parts of the armor. The belt of truth. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, reveals what the truth is. The breastplate of righteousness. The Word of God reveals what righteousness is. The helmet of salvation. The Word of God reveals salvation. The shoes of the gospel of peace. The word of God brings peace in the midst of chaos. And the shield of faith. The word of God reveals what faith is. Why? Because it is the word of God. It's his word, the creator's word. So what is the word and what does it do? Well, I want to take us over to John 1 because I believe that John 1 is the best articulation of what the Word of God is and what it does. So if you have a Bible, if you can turn there, great. It's going to come up on the screen as well. John 1, I'm going to start in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I want us to think back to Genesis 1 when God spoke, and when he spoke, life came into form. 
he. Now, he's talking about the word, but it uses this, this phrase, he, which is a person, flesh. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. He's the creator. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The word is God. The word is flesh. In, G in the person of Jesus, the word creates the word is life, and the word is light. And today, my hope for all of us is to desire so much more of Jesus and who he is because this here is his word to us. Often I think we have this disconnected uh, reality of, of God kind of being out there somewhere. And we don't really have an opportunity to know him but we do because he gives us his word that we can hear and read and see who he is and what he has done for us. And I think this is why our five solas are so important. That's one of the things that we as a church, the elders, we've, we've closed our hand on and said, this is what the Bible says. These come out of the Reformation. This is when Martin Luther got his hands on the word of God and he started reading it for himself. He grew up in the Catholic faith and he started reading the Bible and going, wait, there's a disconnect between what we're being taught and what God's word actually says. And so he hammers up this 95 theses, these 95 ideas and statements. And over the years, people have taken those and boiled them down to these five things. And this is what John Piper says about these five solas. Our being made spiritually alive and God becoming 100% for us in Christ is, by God's grace alone, on the basis of Christ alone, received through faith alone, so that all things lead ultimately to the glory of God alone, with Scripture alone as the only, final, decisive authority for discerning, teaching, and defending these truths. We do not believe that God's word is only found in the red letters. Often a belief in our culture is that only the red letters articulate what God's word is. And if you don't know what the red letters are, some Bibles have used a different color and a different font to show when Jesus is speaking. And so people will only listen to what the red letters say. We do not believe that. We believe that all of this from front to back is God's word. God's word does not contradict itself. Just because we can't understand it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose for it. And just because we can't make sense of it and connect the dots sometimes doesn't mean that it's wrong. It means we're wrong. We cannot pick and choose what we want to believe or obey. Because obedience brings joy disobedience brings destruction. And we do not believe that any human can add to this. Right now, as I'm speaking, I'm not trying to add to this. There is a growing movement that people are getting up on platforms and stages before thousands of people called the church and lifting themselves up as apostles and prophets 
and their words are being added on to the scriptures, and we do not do that. This is the word of God. I am here to just merely share and herald what this says. Then we've got things like what we're seeing in our culture, and, and I, I, I'm, this isn't... Um, I'm not going against Catholics because I grew up in a Catholic neighborhood. I grew up in Long Island, New York, and I feel like either everybody was either Catholic or Jewish. And, and so the, the Pope has been lifted up to that pedestal for the Catholic faith. And whatever he says or however he interprets this is what now is being considered true and right. Again, we can't add to this. We can't make it say what we want it to say. God's word speaks for itself. God's word is clear. So why is this important? Well, the devil is out to get us. And God gives us the weapon to fight with, a sword. We can't be like looking around in moments of, of temptation and trials and, and persecution, being like, uh, I gotta use something, right? So we pull out something just to try to fend away the devil that's not the word of God. So what we do is we say, um, yeah, I remember I read somewhere, God wants me to be happy. And so we, we start using quotes that we heard or we saw like hung up in a bathroom somewhere, right? And then we say, oh, God wants me to be happy, so I'm gonna do this. And we're using something that is not the sword that God has given us. That's not found in scripture. God is after your satisfaction and your delight, but that delight and that satisfaction is in him. And what he says is right and true, not what you feel. Man, that's a big deal because our culture is telling us the complete opposite. They're wanting you to use this as your sword. And they're doing it under this banner or this umbrella of love. They're saying, oh, like, you don't want to hurt people, so you just got to, you know, do something a little bit softer. But that's not what we see here in the word of God. God doesn't give us a pool noodle. He gives us a sword. And that sword, the Bible says, pierces the bone and the marrow. Church, we cannot compromise. So, that's why this is important. So what do we do? What do we do with the word? Well, here's the first thing. We know and obey the word. I, I, I think that sounds elementary, maybe a little simplistic. But we cannot obey what we do not know. And often when we talk about Bible literacy, we realize that often many believers do not spend time reading their Bible. How could you know who God is, what he's done for you, and what he calls you to if you don't read it? Often, we spend more time podcasting and listening to other people talk about this than us opening this up. We have an amazing thing in our culture today, in our society today, like in our day and age, where we have this printed for us. This wasn't published till like the 1500s or something like that. Like, I want you to think about, like, we can actually hold this and open it and read it, yet we are staking all of eternity 
on the fact that we think it says what it says and maybe someone said it one day that gets on a platform, that's scary. That we as a people would treat this like the terms and conditions of an app. You know what I'm talking about. You don't read those. Right? You, you want the app. You want the thing. Right? I want salvation. I want this, my kids, right? Constantly, they're, they're, hey, Dad, can I download this app? Can I download this app? Right? And so, so they, they want to do that, and then we hit the button, and it says, accept these terms and conditions. And so what do we do? Scroll, 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 accept. Just get past it, because we want the thing. You know, recently, my father-in-law shared with us that his daughter downloaded an app that was a free app. And they scrolled, and they hit accept, $29.99 a week. Automatically billed, just because you hit accept. What are we accepting? Why are we willing just to accept? Why are we willing to just scroll through to get it over with? Eternity. Like, Some of you in this room may feel like, oh, I've lived a long life. Amen. That's awesome. But this is like a speck of dust throughout all of eternity. Do not just scroll through it so we can get to the end where it's just like, oh, yeah, 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 I want that salvation thing. So sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, I believe in the Bible. You don't even know what it says. Church, we need to open the word of God. If the Bible is the word of God, how can we not obey the creator of all things? Because I do think you have two options here. There's not many. It is the word of God, you obey it. It is not the word of God, then you throw it out. Like that's really it. Like there's no middle ground here. You're not like picking and choosing and taking things and saying, well, maybe we'll have some of that. And No, no, no. It's God's word, we obey. Or it's not. But every single person in this room is going to have to come to terms with that. And if you're in the middle, then you're choosing the one that says it's not God's word. Because you're not fully obeying it. This is serious. I mean, how often do we actually read God's word and study God's word? So what do we do? We know and obey the word. And the second thing is we wield the word. This verse in verse 17 it says, and take the helmet of salvation. That word take is wield, you utilize, use. And we, we inherit that word to the next phrase. So he says, take the helmet of salvation and, and you can insert there, take the sword of the spirit. We wield the word. When you wield a tool or a weapon, you handle it effectively. I think of two very clear stories that we see in Scripture when we're talking about wielding the word. There's a story in Genesis 3, and there's a story in Luke 4. Here's the story in Genesis 3. There's a woman named Eve living in perfection. She has everything she could ever dream of. She is living in the Garden of Eden amidst some beautiful things that we can never even fathom. And she has the ability to to experience the presence of God and walk with the Lord in the midst of the garden. And we see that there is a crafty serpent that comes along 
And this is what the crafty serpent does. He begins to utilize and use God's words. Did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? Man. Oh, we just went out. You good? All right. What a, what a bad God. Right? I mean, he, he's not allowing you. He put all this beauty in front of you. He's not letting you touch it or have any of it. And so he begins to twist God's word so that we doubt. And then Eve says back to him, no, God said we can eat from all the trees, but you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Here's what we need to know. She actually adds to God's word right there. God's command is don't eat it or you will die. And then she adds back to the crafty serpent, lest we not touch it. Often it seems so small and so simple. And it's like, well, that's not that big of a deal. We cannot add to God's word. But what he does is he hooks into that and begins the process of causing her to doubt the goodness of God and what he has for her and for her husband. Why? Because that's what the crafty serpent does. He wants to just twist God's words in such a way where we just get lured in, like a really good fishing lure, right, that's coming through the water that the fish thinks is actually food. But then there's another story very similar to this in the temptation of Jesus in Luke 4. So Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness by this same crafty being. In verse 3, if you are the Son of God, notice how he starts that, right? If you really are this, trying to make him question his identity. Command this stone to become bread. Jesus is hungry. I mean, he's been fasting for 40 days. I think I would be pretty hungry. I fast for four hours and I'm hungry. And so, it doesn't seem that harmless unless you start looking at the words. If you are the son of God, if you can do this, why don't you turn this, this stone into bread? Then you have something to eat for yourself. Take care of yourself. You can do that. How does Jesus respond? Does he add to the word of God? Does he try to come up with a wet pool noodle and be like, devil, you're mean? No. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He uses the word of God as his defense and his offense. He is going after the devil with the tool that the Lord has given him, his father, which is God's word. It is written. You know what? This happens actually two more times. And the crafty enemy tries over and over again to twist the words of God. Say, well, you know, what if, what if, oh, if you just, maybe you could. And how does Jesus respond every time? With the power of the word of God. He sinks his feet in, he grabs his sword, and he says, I will not move, I will stand firm. That's what God's calling us to do, church, is to trust in his word and not try to just make it up as we go along. I think this is really important because in our society, 
We call the twisting of God's word politics. And so we don't want to touch it. Do you want me to say that again? Because now there's just dead silence. (laughs) We call the twisting of God's word politics, and so we don't even want to go near it. And then we blanket God's truth as to not offend people's feelings under this banner of love. I tell you what, if I'm walking with a friend and they start walking on in the middle of a train track and as we're walking, I see the train coming to take them out, would it be love for me to just say, hey, if that's what you want to do, have fun with it. It's great. Yeah, are you enjoying that? Have at it. That's not love. But that's what we've been convinced of in our culture is that love is us saying, hey, I know this train is coming. I know eternal damnation in hell is coming, but I'm just gonna let you play on the tracks because I love you. That's not love. We have been called to wield the sword of the spirit. And I know this is a hard truth for our culture because we've been indoctrinated to think that that is love. And right now, I know that there are people in this room, for sure, that are very uncomfortable. I know there are people that are saying, yeah, but, you know, maybe we could. I guarantee you, if there was a train coming after my daughter, I am pulling her off that track. And if any one of you were on there, I'm going to try my hardest to pull you off that track. Why? Because we're talking about eternity here. Sometimes our feelings are wrong. The Bible actually says to not follow our heart because the heart is evil. But what are we hearing over and over again? Follow your heart. God's word must be what we hold high. And it's happening all around us. But what about our own lives? Because often I think when I talk about wielding the word and using the word, like we we think about it in terms of like for others, how many of you have heard something in a sermon where you're thinking, oh, I gotta go tell this person that. And maybe, maybe you're gonna subversively do it. Hey, Bill, can I have the link to that sermon so I could send this over to them and then maybe let them know around minute seven Like, hey, listen specifically here. Um, What about our own lives? Do we allow God's word to actually penetrate our own hearts and our own minds and transform us first? It's often where we see in the Bible where it says, hey, deal with that thing that's in your own eye before going. Often we want to go, hey, guess what? You got some mess on your face, and then we're not actually looking in the mirror ourselves. Um, you know, I've uh, actually, uh, my family, we've, we've made a bed for um, our dog uh, next to our bed, right? Really super comfortable bed right next to our bed. Um, and often what Remy does is try to jump up and get on our bed in the middle of the night and um, sleep like on our bed. And, and then we try to shoo her down and get her back um, 
Often I do that with my sin. I make this nice, comfy, cozy bed for it off to the side um, instead of doing what I'm supposed to do with my sin, not my dog, my sin. And I'm supposed to use the sword and kill that sin. But instead, I just make this kind of comfy little cozy bed for it to just, you know, be off to the side. And what that does is it just gives it easy access to just jump right back on in whenever it wants. Church, how are we wielding the word of God in our own lives? And then, have we misused the word of God as a means to get our selfish way? I often see this with sin. When we're dealing with sin, um, we, we can try to twist and manipulate the word of God to make it seem like our sin is not that bad. Um, I've also seen this in abuse. I've seen um, men who put on religiosity as a mask and abuse their wives with trying to use the word to get them to do what they want them to do. The Bible is not meant to be used to fulfill our selfishness. The Bible is meant to lead us closer to the throne of God's grace, and it's meant to lead others to the throne of God's grace. And so in our marriage, if I am talking about the word with my wife in the midst of a fight or, or an argument, it's so that both of us can be led to the throne of God's grace with confidence and that we can fall on our knees knowing that we are both sinners in need of God's grace. And that it's not a, you're wrong, I'm right. It's a, we're sinners and we need Jesus. So how are we using the word of God? How are we wielding the word of God. So what do we do with the word? We know the word, we obey the word, we wield the word, and then we pray and share the word. And this, this is the part that should actually cause us to like, after hearing all of that, cause us to like be like, yes, and amen. Look at verse 17. Take this helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then he keeps going. So I know we have a, a verse break right there, but, but he keeps going. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, asking the Lord. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, your brothers and sisters, and also for me that my words may be given to me and opening up my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak as we, church family, ought to speak. We use the word of God to share the best news that we will ever be able to share with anyone in their entire lives. If a family member or someone you love dearly won the lotto, I guarantee you, you would be ecstatic to talk to them and tell them about it if they didn't know about it. Why are we not so excited and ecstatic when it comes to sharing the only thing that will ever give them the fullness of hope and joy that they will ever experience in their entire lives? We get the opportunity to bring life into darkness, to bring light into the darkness, to bring hope in hopelessness, and to mend what is broken because of God's word. And what does God's word say? There is a God who deeply, deeply, eternally loves you. 
so much that he sent his only son to live a life that you and I could never live. Perfection, holiness, to be tempted and actually succeed unlike any of us in this room. And then to be put to death for you, in place of you, and then to be raised again, not just figuratively, literally, so that you and I may have a restored relationship with God for all of eternity. And that's the beauty of this table. The beauty of this table is something that Jesus does with his disciples the night before he dies. But there's actually another time this comes up. After he raises from the dead in Luke 24, Jesus appears and starts walking with two of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he's talking to them. You ever like see somebody out of um, context? And so like you know them? But like, you're like, wait, I, you're not supposed to be here. You're usually over there, right? And so it like does that thing in your brain for a second. Well, these guys are walking, and they know that Jesus was just dead and buried. And so they're not thinking, I'm looking for Jesus. And so they're walking, and a guy appears, and they're walking, and they're walking. Now, the, the, the funny thing in this story is that God's actually, you know, guarding them and not letting them be revealed to who he is. But, but now they're walking, and, and all of a sudden, they sit down, and they invite him to join them for a meal. And you know what he does? The same thing he does on the night that, the night before he dies, is he takes some bread and he starts breaking it and he starts offering it to them. And it's in that moment that their eyes are open and they realize this actually is Jesus. And they said, you know what? Our hearts were burning when you were sharing the word with us as we were walking, our hearts were burning and longing for what you were just saying. And now all of a sudden we realize, yes, it is you, the son of God. As we come forth, as we leave our sin at the cross and we pick up his body broken for us and we dip it in the juice of his blood that has been poured out for us. We do this in remembrance of him. Why? Because he is a good, good God. And he has given us his life so that we may have life for all of eternity in him. And he gives us his word so we may know him and love him. Amen? Can I pray over us? Jesus, thank you for your word. I know often with life and circumstance and distraction, we can so easily and so quickly um, just want uh, something that's lighthearted and, and easy. But Lord, there is nothing more beautiful and serious than understanding what your word is and who you are through your word and what you have done for us. And so I pray, Lord, that you would open up our eyes and our mind to how amazing your word is. God, if we do not have a passion, Lord, to read and open your word, if we do not have a desire to, if we try, but for some reason something keeps coming on up, I pray that you would move in power through the, the Holy Spirit, that you would move in might, and you would help us grow in a desire to, as David said, earnestly 
early in the morning, seek your face. God, thank you for Jesus. And I pray that we would be a church that is known for how we love you and love others and make disciples. This is in your name we pray. Amen. As you're coming forward to the tables, there's a couple questions that are going to be on the screen. These are just something in the process. They may seem elementary again, but I think that these are important for you to actually think about. What are your daily patterns of reading the word? Are you just trying to get these little nuggets maybe every now and again? Or are you reading the word? Are you seeking the word? What are your daily patterns? If you struggle to understand a passage of scripture, what do you do? That's what the elders are here for. We have tons of, we want to meet with you and we have tons of resources. We have community group leaders. We've got deacons and deaconesses that we want to connect you with. We have Bible studies so that we can grow deeper in the word together. It doesn't matter if you've been in church for three days or 30 years. We all need help reading the word. Do you journal? What would it look like if you started journaling? One method I love is the soap method where you journal out what is the scripture, what is an observation, the application, and a prayer. And then do you share what God is teaching you through his word with other people? So as you're thinking about these things, come before the Lord with them, lay them at his feet, and receive the goodness of his grace as we take communion together. Love you guys. God bless.